This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. shall answer. Almonds in. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast focusing on low-tech microphones, subpar sound effects, and slipshot editing. Oh, and did I mention Lotro? And all things Tolkien. This is volume two, book four. No, it's just episode number 48, and I'm your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of S.H.I.E.L.D., the Earl of Agro, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. I am broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, Atop the Tower of Orthanc. Uh, Grima kept a spare key here, apparently. Don't ask me what for, but he apparently does enjoy a bit of breaking and entering from time to time. Uh, not to mention trespassing in general, or basically sneaking about, as it were. Sneaking! Uh, certainly not condoning it, but it does seem to come in handy from time to time. Uh, let's take a quick look around. I see mountains of gray and brown. There are little stumps sticking up out of the ground on every every corner. Uh, this corner of Isengard has not yet been flooded, so to speak, in our timeline. Uh, there are some, some uh, fortresses off to the left. Obviously, we're in a rather jagged and and uh, stark looking bowl. You can see the trees and shrubbery popping up uh, on the mountaintops to our left. The river running down, riving this valley through. Um, smoke is arising out of the bowels of Isengard as we convert the local forests into the machines of industry. And uh, it just kind of looks like it needs a little TLC, if you know what I mean. Um, but uh, I did want to mention we're off to a bit of a sluggish pace coming out of the gates in 2016. It's almost the end of January, and we're at episode number two. <laughs> what can I say? I am stumpy of stature, and it's hard to climb into the recording studio chair, so we're going to have to get used to it. Why are we here atop the Tower of Isengard, you might ask? That's a good question. One that may be answered a little later in the podcast, if we move on to our second beacon. Elinok. As usual, we deal with uh, a lot of CRAP, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Last year, we offended uh, people and stuff. Pretty much all the viewers. We're going to table it. We're tabling it this week. And to all of those that were offended, I offer a very solemn and heartfelt sorry. Um... In the retraction area, there is a specific instance I might mention. Uh, I was talking about the earning the gifts of winter home for as part of the winter festival, and uh, I was complaining 
about the fact that uh, they seem to change the loot tables. I had not, you know, despite cycling through tunes multiple days in a row, uh, you know, 10 or 11 tunes at a time, I had not acquired a single solitary stat tome uh, from all my winter homing this year. And uh, it appeared the day after my last podcast in a winter home present. I got a solitary tomb uh, just the day after I complained that they didn't appear to be in the loot table anymore. Various folks chimed in to let me know that they'd received multiple tombs, so we will blame the RNG gods again. Uh, it's not a bread present to get as uh, in the winter home, as most tomes seem to be going on my auction house in Landerville at least for between 175 and 250 gold, depending on the level and number and stat. Uh, not bad. Generally speaking, a little too rich for my blood. I don't go out shopping tomes. I do look and see occasionally if there are some that are reasonably, pr reasonably priced that I need. Uh, but generally speaking, I'm not willing to pay 250 gold for them. Unless, of course, I sell one of my own tomes and trade it in. That's usually an even trade that sometimes I'm willing to go for. I've got maybe, I don't know, 8, 9, 10 tomes stockpiled in my vault waiting for a tune that could use them. Um... I keep thinking I will need them. Oh, if this guy finds Agility 4, then, you know, eventually I'll need Agility 6. So I'll hold on to it. And uh, I think the wiser course would probably be to sell them all. <laughs> Especially since prices seem to be up right now. And uh, maybe buy the ones I need later when I need them. So we may pursue that. Uh, viewer comments from last week. Um, not many. No new iTunes reviews in 2016, people. None. Zero. Zilch. Nada. It's my best Trump. Um, LTBcom comments. Uh, yeah, there were a couple, as I mentioned. Uh, folks chiming in about the uh, about the stat tomes and about some of their activities. Uh, out in the Twitter, the Twitter sphere, uh, there were a couple folks that lauded my predictions for 2016. Thought I was uh, and and my and my my. Uh, uh, grading of my predictions from 2015, lauding my uh, predictive prowess. Brax Wolf uh, chimed in to let me know about it. And um, I was having a conversation with Aerothert and uh, a couple other folks about uh, the guard AoE, the, the wonders of the guard AoE and the red trait line. And somehow I mistyped and I said uh, in, in the ape, the APE instead of AOE. And then there was a long discussion about whether there was another animal class coming to complement the Bjorning. Um, you know, an ape class where we'd be swinging from trees. You know, th this, these are things how things devolve <laughs> very quickly in the Twitter sphere. Uh, and eventually we got to my, my previous prediction that the no next class in Lotro was going to be a Druidan after the Bjorning, which still could come true. Uh, we are just getting to the part of the story where we're going to encounter them probably in the next update, landscape update coming out uh, from from Turbine, uh, the way it's been announced. Uh, so usually that's going to come sometime into first quarter, early second quarter-ish. We will meet some Druidan, and if ever there was an opportunity for a new class in the game, this would be it. I've said it before, he would be half RK, half RK, uh, half champion, kind of a... Um, a rough-and-tumble martial arts, uh, you know, dealing mystic. Um, 
you know, with uh, that could be an interesting an interesting amalgamation, I believe, that could bring some new things to the game. So, Turbine, if you're looking for more work for 2016, please have at it. Uh, community Spotlight, what else was going on in the game? Winterstock was on this past weekend. And I actually did, uh, on a couple tunes, drop by Winterstock and check out the goings-on. I saw some all-stars there, like Pine Song and um, Lily Kate uh, taking, in the, taking in the action. I poked them, but they didn't notice. There's so many emotes flying by on the screen. Uh, I'm sure they uh, you know, were paying attention to the music, as they should. Um, I did see two bands in particular that I remember, the Crazy Ladies of the Forest, and the traveling Bill Barrier, Bill Barriers. Uh, both of them were uh, were very fashionable, well coordinated, and playing some fun music uh, along with uh, simulcast um, simulcast lyrics that were appearing in in the world uh, in the local chat as they were playing. It was very fun. Um, Event seemed well attended. I cannot believe they played 41 bands over three days. And I think they did some bonus bands even uh, for an extra day from what I read. So so that was pretty cool. Enjoying being in Landerville and being able to enjoy some of those things firsthand with my primary tunes as opposed to uh, creating guests uh, just to visit for those types of things. What else has been going on in the forums inside our area? Well, there's been a lot of buzz from the server transfers. And in this podcast, I was going to go off on a rant. Where are the communications from Turbine talking about the state of the game and what they're doing about it? What is the impact? Do they know that they can fix these things or, you know, are we stuck in some regards? Um I've heard, uh, in-game, I've heard, it's kind of interesting, I've heard people all over the map, for people saying they're seeing better performance, people saying they're seeing no lag, people that are not um, getting crashed from the game at all, and other people that can barely play, that are complaining up and, up and down about lag, about not being able to log into the game, all these other issues. So it does appear to be highly uh, sporadic. Um, could be some users' IP locations. Uh, apparently, the you know some of the providers, ISP providers, haven't rerouted to Turbine's uh, you know new uh, new URL locations effectively. So they're going through these uh, elongated routes to get uh, to get their pings back um, that have not yet been corrected. So hopefully those will sort themselves out. And uh, again, I was going to rant. Where's the the lacking of communications from Turbine regarding an issue of this magnitude? Nothing official. And then, lo and behold, it's a good thing I broadcast on Tuesdays. This afternoon, Vivian came out with uh, with a proclamation in the in the forums. Uh, basically. There's not a lot of new info there, but it's important that she addressed it. Uh, she said, we realize that these problems, the reason they came about is because of the OS and hardware upgrades that had to occur simultaneously. We're doing code fixes in order to correct some configurations to the game as people move back and forth between different servers. Uh, a lot of the crashes come, or when you're ejected from the game, coming in and out of portals or instances or into you know uh, into rooms, basically, through, through, the, through the transport portals. So she did recognize those issues. She did say there were code configuration changes that were coming. You know, you can see that some of the worlds are being brought up and down to either try changes or to correct issues. And she said they're working night and day to fix it. Um, you know, that's as much as I would expect uh, Turbine uh, 
to share. Although I, I would have liked it if they'd gone one step further to say we still expect that all these issues are addressable and that the majority of the, the users are going to see stable and improved game performance in the long run based on what we're seeing. You know, there are encouraging signs. I would have liked them to say that. Um, you know, I don't think it costs them to do so, unless they really don't believe it's true, which would be a little scary. Uh, I do believe it to be the case, so I believe they should have made that statement. But at least they came out, they formally addressed it, and we'll see where the forums go from there. Or maybe I won't in this particular case. Uh, I myself have had an increasing graphic card failure, dropping me out of the game every, I don't know, 45 minutes or so of late. Um, updating my driver has not seemed to help. Uh, could Windows 10 be partially at fault? Uh, possibly. I can't remember having these issues back when I was in Windows 8, so I'm not sure if it's the server transfers or Windows or a combination of the two, which could be causing the problem, but um, I probably need to do some troubleshooting out on the forums myself and see if uh, anyone else is running into the same graphic card error, error messages that I'm receiving. Um, you know, it makes me loathe to try to get in some longer runs where I know, you know, an instance where I might blink out in the middle of a boss fight and go link dead. Uh, not good for your tank to do that. <laughs> some other classes you might be able to get away with it, but uh, tank is, you know, probably one of the most crucial to have that kind of continuity and that kind of fight. Um, so I've been a little reticent, reticent to join, uh, you know, more difficult instances uh, longer in nature for fear of being booted. And uh, one of the things I've been wanting to do, obviously, based on the new content that came out, is uh, Chicken Run to Minas Tirith. And um, I can just picture playing the game for two hours, two and a half hours, and being at the gates of Minas Tirith and going link dead from a video card failure. So I don't think I'm going to try that run until uh, until I get a handle on this issue, which is kind of a bummer because there was an announcement that Corey Olson, is, uh, the Tokian professor, is going to be doing his check-in run to Minas Tirith at 10 Eastern this coming Saturday morning, the 6th, I think it is. And... Uh, I was gonna, you know, I still would have joined that just for the fun of seeing how far I got uh, and joining in the fun. But um, I've seen predictions out on the webospheres that uh, a full run takes maybe two and a half hours, and I think I'm gonna have just short of that uh, before I have to attend a sporting event of one of the wee dwarven uh, uh, baby dwarves in the house. So um, that would be a bummer to make it almost all the way there and have to quit. Uh, I'm almost certain I won't have enough time. So I'm going to have to table it. Hopefully there are future community runs planned because uh, I'd, I'd love to have a little bit of support, especially on the back end of that process, maybe through some of the... Um through some of the roving war bands in uh, eastern Gondor that could, or central Gondor, uh, Labinian, or other areas where you could get nailed after you know an hour and a half, two hours into your run, that would not be fun. Um, so if you or your kin plan a chicken run in the future, especially on a weekend, please let me know. If I'm free, I'd love to join. So. In this week's episode, we are going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks. We're going to take a quick stroll through the update 17.2 release notes and some of the reactions that I've seen regarding them. We are going to dip into a returning feature, Bragg's Grab Bag. Yes, double A's on all of those. And lastly, if we have any time remaining, uh, we will let Grima grind some axes. And trust me, he has plenty of them to grind. Let's move on to our third beacon.
This week in gaming and other Tolkien news. So I did return to DDO briefly. Uh, I read somewhere that someone spends a lot of time in waterworks in the marketplace just because it's so huge and there's lots of grinding you can do in there. So I went in and I went after my next deed uh, and 400 kobolds later I reached the next tier. It appears they just keep doubling. They're doubling. So I don't know how much time you can spend in the waterworks uh, killing kobolds, but apparently it's quite a bit. Uh, while I was in there, I ran some quests. Uh, I think I've done some of the quests in the, the Waterworks before, but not all of them. Not uh, kind of. I think there's three separate wings, and uh, there are quests that kind of knit most of them together. So I went through that whole chain and got a decent piece of loot out of it at the end. Uh, the Secret World, I did jump in and tick another quest off the epic list by exploring the Illuminati Library on the Savage Coast. And Marvel Heroes, there's lots of new skins coming out lately for that game, and I am tempted by the mention of the Danger Room. Uh, when I was growing up, X-Men was my favorite comic book. I joined in around episode 128... Or 123, actually, right about when the new X-Men were starting to fight Alpha Flight. Uh, and John Byrne was drawing that comic book, and it was the best book in the business. And uh, quite a few of those issues are worth some decent scratch now, which is kind of cool. Uh, so the Danger Room for the X-Men was always one of my favorite sequences. Um, problem is, I assume it's an endgame activity, and my highest tune in Marvel Heroes is only about level 23 or so right now. So, if that's not the case, maybe it scales. That would be cool. I'd try it if that was the case, but I don't think that is. Uh, Clash of Clans, another update came out with abandoned loot carts and treasure storage. Uh, still little tweaks to that game. Must be a major cash cow, because they keep trying to keep it fresh, which I like. Um, Star Trek Online, I zoomed into a quest area and got my butt beaten while patrolling some planet in the Baya system and it was one of those things where patrol the planet find like six different you know patrols and eliminate all of them and I got through the first fight through skin of my teeth with some kiting and everything I could throw at it and then the next one that came along I tried the same strategy and it was real grind trying to burn those things down and uh, I got my butt kicked and I'm like oh, I had to do six of these and I can't even get through the fights with, with, without spending like 20 minutes and uh, you know 50% chance of death small chance of victory what are you waiting for uh, so I can't figure out in STO if I'm just underpowered or if my random button mashing is so ineffective that the content level would not matter anyway uh, I think if I want to get serious about that game, I need to read a combat manual. But my biggest gripe is when I accept a quest, I still can't figure out how you tell whether you're uh, the right level or power for it. Um, it's probably easy. It's probably like a color coding or a number in a corner somewhere. I just don't see it. So I never know. I, I try everything, and sometimes I you know, just get laced or maybe the, maybe the quests adjust themselves to your level in some cases I don't even know that but I appear to be terrible at that game in terms of space combat so I don't know we'll keep chipping away at it and maybe sometime I'll actually get off my butt and read some research on it 
Uh, Batman Arkham Asylum, I took a break. Haven't played it in weeks. Hope to get back to it soon. And lastly, another humble bundle alert. Uh, a game went on sale this past weekend called Never Alone for the bargain price of $3.79 American. And uh, it's an independently produced Inuit adventure that uh, looks quirky and unique with some atmospheric music and simple puzzles. And uh, that was enough to hook me in. The, the I think that $4 threshold for uh, buying games on sale that have been out for a while is kind of where it is at for me right now. Um, what closed the deal? I found out it only takes a few hours to play. <laughs> That's a game I can stick my teeth into and get done and move on. So what have we been doing in Lotro? Lots. Uh, it's been three weeks, I think, since we spoke last. Bragg went on a bingo binjo. From the Forsaken Inn, I pursued him through Revendell to the Misty Mountains, through the tunnels of Goblin Town, through a region, and the peaks of Caradras, before ending up in the Dolven view of Moria. Ah, uh, home again. And while I was walking around Moria in the entranceway, I completed two new quests in the entryway just for funsies. They were gray circles around the heads of some of the NPCs, and I cannot have gray quest rings in my home. No, sir. I have a feeling we're going to find our fine little fellow in the waterworks in the next couple weeks, I'd imagine. But I'm really hoping that when we do, there will be more to do in Moria before our bingo adventure there is over. Uh... After the server transfers, I on brag, I ran a tier 3 attack at dawn as a heat check, uh, see how the performance was. I had no performance issues at all, um, and it was rather easy. Uh, so, you know, I haven't been having, I was not having the crashing, and I was not having the lag problems most people were reporting. I do have this video card crashing problem, which I'm not sure may be unrelated. Um, Bragg's been running the Minas Tirith dailies again since the update. Uh, I think in the last three to four days of doing that, I've gotten like 12 to 15 scrolls of empowerment in like three to four days of play. Wow! <laughs> it's maybe more than I've earned in the last year on one tune at least. Um, you know, maybe across my tunes, but uh, they they certainly addressed this issue and they did it in quite an aggressive fashion. So I'm not going to complain. I've got a lot of tunes to outfit, and I've still got a lot of scrolls to go. I think most uh, tiers, um, once you convert your LI and imbuit, are between 30 and 35 somewhere in there, depending on how many tiers you had before you did the imbuement. Um, and I think the top level, without uh, you know further. Uh, spending mithril coins is like 44. So, you know, on average, I've got 10 to 15 scrolls from power needed for each skill, times six skills on it, seven skills on an ally with the crystal of remembrance. That's uh, 105 scrolls from empowerment on average. Let's call it 100. Uh, and then, of course, you've got two allies for each tune, and you may have more if you want multiple purposes. Uh, so, you add that up. I don't know what you got, but it's a bad perpetrator, and it's here to stay. Uh, I think that's a line from Die Hard. So, anyway... I am kind of glad, and I feel like I've been making progress on my LI and significantly improving it, and I'll fully gear out to brag and then probably move on to my next and start to sprinkle them around to other tunes. I'm not going to run those ministerial dailies on multiple tunes every day. I don't get that kind of time. But the Builders and Bergsmen... Um, uh, you know, if you run those two areas, that's the cisterns and the southern gates, you can get like three SOEs per run. And if you run the smiths on the north gate, which of course has fast travel, why do we... They added all these...
stables to the game, but they didn't do fast travel to the north gate. We only have it to the south gate. Oh, I'm sorry, the opposite. We've got it to the north gate, but we didn't add it to the south gate. Why, Termine? Why? But if you run to the north gate uh, where the smiths are, you can get, uh, they have morale essences, which are probably the most useful things to get. They've got all, all the status, primary stat essences, but they have morale, uh, which you weren't able to get in Dolamroth without an RNG challenge. And it looks like I can get about uh, maybe one and a half morale essences per run. They're only purples, but those are still pretty good. Uh, my Bjorning, I took a break on him after Hitbold, and he is languishing in the Eastfold. Uh, my Minstrel, um, still waiting to get a chance to run the Asgiliath instances to finish off the class trait point there. Um, with some of the upgrades I've been doing on her, I could probably go back and trap soul them now. Might do that at some point soon. And uh, she completed the Minas Tirith epic story for the class trait points. Uh, did the roving threats in Anorian for another deed. And is working on the quests of Carondros and the Pelennor for another class trait point. Um, interestingly enough, while I stand here atop the Tower of Isengard, I should mention that I recently healed a Tower of Orthanc run on my Minstrel. Uh, don't get a chance to do that too often. Um, first we ran the Fire and Frost Wing and tried maybe four times with a pug to get the challenge mode done, uh, which consists of killing both giants with zero rage. And there's a rage meter on the screen. You can tell when they have rage. Uh, you must kill, the, I think it's the opposite Grims next to the giant to remove the rage and DPS him down before more Grims spawn, because as soon as Grims spawn, he gets more rage. Uh, so we got a little better on each try that we did it. In each case, we could have finished the instances and killed both giants at any time, but we were trying to do the challenge mode uh, for a couple people that needed the deed. And in each case, we got a little bit closer and uh, had to run run out and reset uh, when we ran out of Grimms to kill to get all the rage down. And on the fourth try, we missed it by literally about two seconds. <laughs> um, the Grim popped up, some rage hit the meter, and like simultaneously the killing blows came in on the giant, and we missed it by about two seconds. And uh, it was uh, a bunch of people had to quit, um, so we just finished it without the challenge at that point, which was unfortunate. Um, so something changed on this run during one of the upgrades to make it so hard. Uh, I remember finishing challenge mode on level, you know, with a dedicated good group, but, you know, people that were focused and knew what to do. Uh, but, you know, back in the day, and now with level 100, you can't finish the challenge without, uh, you know, just uh, airtight coordination. It seems like, uh, you know, what's what's the difference between a challenge and something fair? <laughs> if you can't do it with 100 level tunes that, you know, multiple tries, uh, where people are paying attention and are doing the right thing, um, you know, it seems, sounds like it's a little out of balance. I know there's plenty of people out there have probably done it, no problem, either with their kin or with an organized group. But we were having trouble, and I thought our group was recent, you know, decently well uh, staffed and equipped. So tell me if anyone knows the secret on challenge mode for Fire and Frost. Uh, from there, we proceeded to the top of the tower. Uh, we finished the Shadow Wing without an issue, uh, got challenge mode on that, and then went up to the top of the Tower of Orthanc. And the Tower of Orthanc, I believe, still has a bug um, where at the end there's, uh, I think there's seven phases in the fight, six or seven phases. Maybe it's five. I can't remember right now. 
But uh, at the end of each phase, uh, you have to have people assigned to the rings and to hold them up in the color order that Sauron dictates by the glowing of his staff in order to uh, foil him from acquiring the rings from you. And there appears to be a bug right now where the purple color does not show. So you don't know the exact order uh, of the colors. You can kind of see maybe if there's a pause in between two of the colors and you can say, oh, it must be, excuse me, Dwarven Belch, must be between the yellow and the blue because there was a pause there. Uh, you know, but if it's on the front end or the back end, it's kind of harder to tell. So it's a bit of a pain in the neck. Um, so we actually failed uh, the instance twice just through getting the color orders wrong in between. At this, at this point at level 100, if you have a good tank and people know who to target and where to stand so they don't get knocked off the platform, uh, you know, beating the waves is not difficult. But, uh, but getting the color rights with a color bug is. Uh, but the third time was the charm. And, uh, you know, I, I still think this instance is hard enough to be fun, but possible to pug now. And so it's, uh, it's a good time if you haven't done it. Um, two clasps, two cloak clasps were dropped. And I failed miserably on my rolls for them, unfortunately. I've still never won that piece of booty. I believe it's one of the rarest uh, loot items in the game still. And could go for a pretty penny on the auction house, as I understand it. Even if what you can do with it now is, you know, not exactly uh, going to give you a piece of gear that you're going to use. But uh, still kind of cool to, to build a, you know, an elevated dragon cloak from it for cosmetics or whatever the case may be. Um... You know, one of the reasons it's so expensive, even over-leveled, you have to coordinate a big group and spend a few hours going through all the wings before you can get to the top of the tower. And uh, that's why it's so rare still. Uh, but I did get a new imbued minstrel book uh, for my minstrel. So I have two, now two one-age uh, 100s for my minstrel. And... Uh, and that book is feeling solid. Got some a little bit of leveling and some of the tears to do with it, obviously, but it's in good shape. Um, also healed a fire of smogs raid this past week. First time in a long time I've tried that instance. And the problem is, as I tweeted out, it still appears not impossible. I'm going to say really, really, really hard to pug. Um, you know, part of the problem is I figured I'd never tried it over leveled. I thought maybe you could overpower the instance, uh, you know, if you just did some basic things. But it, you know, it still seems to be an instance that can't be overpowered. Uh, you've got to coordinate everybody uh, to make sure that you don't go through the Grimm's uh, morale too quickly because at every 10%, I think he sends additional groups and the steam valves open back up and you have to run and close the steam valves periodically and the fire tenders show up. And if you do, if you just DPS the Grimm all out, they pile up until the ads overwhelm you and the steam, you know, you can't run up to the sides to get the steam because there's too many orcs and the parties are separated. So it still requires a good deal of coordination and uh, it's more than most pugs are capable of especially since we had a couple people that weren't listening to instruction and we're just kind of doing their own thing um, what else on my cappy the fashionable I ran an icy crevasse tier 3 scrade for the first time never done that uh, never done that skirmish as a scrade on tier 3 before and uh I started out, we, you know, we got all the way through, there were a couple deaths all the way to the end, but nothing bad. Uh, and the fight, uh, as you realize in a tier 3 scrade on the Ice Creek Crevasse, is uh, extremely challenging. It's basically like, like an instance boss in terms of the complexity. Um, so I tried it at first with my Berg, and what I quickly realized is a Berg is not a good class to have in this fight. And here's why. 
Um, there's waves of ads in between the switching between the mammoth and the sorcerer, and often those those ads are ice grims, which come out and do the massive uh, tactical blasts. And as a Berg, I've got to be close to somebody doing really damage to do you know be of almost any help at all. And uh, and as a squishy, fairly squishy class. I just didn't have the mitts to stay alive through some of those tactical uh, tactical blasts from the ice grims. So I was getting kilt, and it was not helping, and I felt kind of useless. Um, then I joined instead as a blue line traded cappy, and it went so much better. So it's a challenging and long fight. It's just like running a final boss for an instance, as I mentioned. Uh, first of all, Purple dots appear over people's heads that stun everybody around you, so you have to run away from the crowd. Um, you must keep the mobs you're DPSing, the bosses, off the heating events to avoid uh, they get a healing buff that completely regenerates their health. Uh, which means if you're fighting off those vents, they get a plus 50% DPS buff, so they hit pretty hard. Uh, the sorcerer drops puddle, so the tank's got to constantly move him uh, kind of in a clockwise fashion around the room. The adds do massive tactical AoE damage because uh, they're ice grims, so you need very solid tactical mitigations. Uh, probably maxed if you can all help it. And uh, the fight's not a DPS race, which is against the basic nature of pugs. It's you got to take it slow and easy. You know, there's some reflect damage in there. You got to make sure that you're healed up before you hit all out on some folks. And you need full mitigations and a lot of heals. So Cappy heals to the rescue. Um, worked much better the second time out and finished that off for the first time. That was fun. So I enjoyed running with my Cappy enough that I decided to upgrade his level 95 first age emblem to a first age emblem, a level 100, with all the rigmarole that involves. Um, I built it purely as a healing emblem, at least, emblem, at least to start. I uh, did get five majors and two minors on it, which is nice, uh, and good initial tiers, so I'm very happy with it. Uh, I might need to make a DPS emblem down the line, or maybe even just a second age emblem for DPS, because there are plenty of circumstances where people will call for DPS cappies uh, to get Oathbreakers on, especially in uh, big battles when you get um, some of the individual... Uh, individual elites that have to be burned down within a specific time frame. So probably have to go back and build a DPS set of uh, gear for the captain at some point, but right now he's in a good place from a healing perspective. All right. Um, uh, when I was building out those uh, LIs, I was looking for T3 damage modifiers, and they're still only available at Dol Amroth for Dolamroth silver pieces, of which I had one. <laughs> I had about 100 silver tokens of DA, but only one DA silver piece. Really, Turbine? Silver tokens versus silver pieces of Dolamroth? <laughs> um, could you make that more confusing? Uh, so anyway, you can get them in Central Gondor and Eastern Gondor through some of the other rep factions, I believe. And actually, I had a bunch of tokens up in Wildermore. And there's T2 scrolls there, almost as good, so I bought a couple of those as well. Um... The, the Dull Amroth tokens that you need, you can only get uh, through, once you're done with quests, through Warbands, Repeatable Fishing Quests, and tar Tarling's Crown Dailies. So those are hard to stock back up on without spending a lot of time. 
Uh, I also leveled my jeweler crafting for my captain. I got to the point where I could crit some teal items. Hey, what do you know? Teal items are a pretty big upgrade over some of my two-slot Anorian jewelry. Uh, so I see my captain doing some crafting across my tunes uh, over the next couple weeks to gear them out a little bit better. And uh, what I need to make some of those jewelry pieces worth it are more good essences. Um, I've used up a lot of my good ones. I have a ton in the bank, but it seems to be I don't have any morales, although I'm earning them now through the Ministerial Dailies. And I don't have any Supremes. It might be nice to have a few more of those. Um, Essence Reclamation Scrolls are starting to get scarce for me after a number of upgrades I've done moving to an Orion. So I think I am out. I may need to be selective on this, uh, which pieces I reclaim essences from. Um, and uh, my mini also started cooking. Norian recipes are a nice upgrade, uh, so I need to work my way through the trail foods, resistance food stacks, etc. And cooking is the biggest pain of any profession to level at this point, so it'll take a little bit of time, but I'm going to chip away at it. Um, I did get uh, updated Cappy flags. Uh, which have a big boost actually of stats over the level 95 ones that I had so as I'm leveling my crafters I'm finding some some use to put them to for example my lore master been processing mats for scarlet crafting of all the professions though I seem to be the shortest on mats for him right now and from an Orion because no one can collect them but him aside from drops so I did get some progress on this and uh, built a bunch of updated uh, battle and warding scrolls so those are getting slowly updated as well my Berg, I did a little bit of Central Gondor rep grinding, uh, Ringlo Vale done, Dora Neal done, Pilar Gear done. So Vanguard of Central Gondor achieved in another tune, and uh, for the first stage 100 token for that. And I also did a few extra quests and got one of the class-specific essences from the Barter Master at Door Air Neal. Uh, you guys re may remember, I've heard, I've heard people put these down, and I think for some classes they are kind of useless, but for some they are pretty good. Uh, they had an essence uh, for the Berg that heals 10% of his morale for every time he evades an attack, and Bergs get evades all over the place. Now, it can only proc once every 20 seconds. Um... You know, but if a good Berg is up around, I don't know, 20 to 25k morale, uh, if I can get a 2500 morale uh, bump every 20 seconds or all, that's that's almost better than, you know, chain smoking Athlas scrolls. So I'll take it. And, uh, you know, it'll scale as your morale scales. So it could be even, you know, more advantageous as, uh, as he gears up a little bit. So I think there are some 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 of those. You know, I heard uh, some folks in Lotro players talking about how useless those could be. There are some good ones. Uh, on my guard, I got I picked up one of those that I think um, for every melee skill you use, there's a five percent chance, or I think it's five percent of uh, stunning an opponent for six seconds. You know, if I do a sweeping cut and hit eight to eleven targets. Uh, one of those guys is going to be stunned for six seconds every time I swing. So that's not bad. Um, so I've got that one slotted as well. So I just encourage you, go to the guy in Doraniel, the quartermaster there. Look through the class-specific essences. I think those are the only places in the game that you can get them right now. And um, see if uh, you think the ones for your class are compelling. I do encourage you to look at it. Uh, so I crafted a new First Age 100 Berg Tools uh, legendary item. 
and I'm about to imbue those. I need some need some more Amphalas Starlet Crystals. I'm out of those again. Uh, and I also needed some IXP from the Skirm Camps to ramp this thing up because I'm about out of IXP runes from all these uh, legendary item upgrades. My supplies are exhausted. Um, and I, the one other comment I'd make on the Berg is I felt a little lost scrading with her in a scrade that heavily favors massive AoE damage. I uh, felt like I wasn't pulling my weight. And I've heard people say that Bergs are in a bad place right now, maybe outside of the Moors. Um, I think they do find souling. I can see why they might not be as popular in groups as other DPS options uh, when there's so many instances that have uh, multi multiple mob encounters in a lot of cases. So outside of PvP, they might need a little bit of buffing if that's possible. Uh, my hunter is now an Anorian Master Gilded Farmer. So you can see I'm kind of across the board finally making some crafting impact. And he made about 600 stacks of Anorian beans and 600 Anorian crops for my cook, who's now working away um, at her crafting as well. Uh, Hunter's level 96 and ran a battle in the tower skirm at level 100. They asked me along even though I didn't have the levels. They needed one more person. And they did just fine. And aside from that, she's been making some progress in Western Rohan, Stone Dean's quest line. One of the frigging longest in the whole expansion. But uh, getting close uh, to finishing that one off. Uh, just making my way through Torsberry. RK, Warden, and Champ get no love again. And that is more than enough about what I've been doing in game. Let's move on to our next beacon. The beacon of Aralas is lit. Age will be coming. Maybe. All right, so 17.2 release notes. Let's go through these pretty quickly. I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but uh, I did want to give some reactions and some uh, notes of what I've seen in-game regarding these. So the Emote Collection user interface. The Collections panel, good to see they didn't abandon it, and they are building out additional stuff in there. Um, you know, it doesn't contain all the mounts in the game. It doesn't contain all the pets in the game. It contains kind of a select selections of them, so I'd like to see them build that out to the point it was, but I do like the implementation they did with the emote collection. It's got it's a lot more detailed. The UI is nice. Seeing the emotes is fun. You can kind of spot through and count how many you have on each tune. Um, see the ones that are earnable in the landscape. It's a good marketing mechanism for them, for the ones that you can buy in the store, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, if they really want to fuel that, say if you get all the emotes that are available in the collection, then you can earn a super emote that does something awesome. And maybe maybe people will buy it then a bit more. But um, also neat that you can drag the emotes into your quick slots. Would have come in handy for slapping hobbits in the uh, North Cotton Farms. <laughs> and uh, apparently they appear as the, icon, the actual icon now. Um, when you get a quest that requires an emote to complete. So uh, good to see that it's a, a versatile system that's integrated with the rest of the systems in the game. Um, new quests have been added to Minas Tirith. Uh, pleasant surprise to get some of this content. I guess you could go back and argue that all this stuff should have been there at release. I'm sure that was the original plan. But when you, when you have a development plan for an application, it's always nice to take the lower priority items and have the opportunity to move them off the critical path if, uh, if you need to polish something else. So I'm sure that was the case here. There's new public endgame space in the cisterns. Uh, I've run it a couple times. It's kind of a pain to find all the stuff in there. So here's the problems with that. Uh, you've got to find members of the Withered Hand. 
right? But if someone else uh, picks one up that appears as a ring on your mini-map right before you get there, um, they don't respawn. So it's it's not a shared spawn wherever it's a shared spawn, which means that only one character can get it. So if the guy beats you there, um, you won't see the ring, and uh, you could move on through the maze without realizing there was a guy in that room you had to pick up, and you end up having to do a whole nother turn around to find the one that you missed. Uh, as it reappears a couple minutes later and if someone else gets it before you do before you run to the room It can happen again So you end up running around the maze multiple times to find the one withered tree guy that you missed and that's a pain in the neck so that's a problem and uh, The bosses I think are random. I think they can appear in one of the several different locations So same thing can occur there. Uh, that's kind of a pain um you know, aside from that, uh, good on them to have additional options to earn tokens and keep people busy at endgame. And I like the fact that it's a public space if it didn't have the shared spawns. Uh, because teaming up with other people to do uh, quests in the northern and southern Ramos Ekor uh, can be fun and make it a lot quicker and uh, less grindy. Um... New quests can be found near the Stone Theater. So I don't have reviews yet for these inside the Houses of Lore, Houses of Healing, Training Ground, the Bats of Belakthor, um, and some deeds associated with finishing off some of these as well, I believe. So I haven't uh, gone through the new quest lines yet. Intend to shortly. We'll let you know what I think. But uh, good on them to have some more com uh, content uh, besides the young waifs in the guest house and Mr. Forlong sending you all over the city. Uh, the deeds that they added for taverns, plaques, uh, you know, kings, stewards, they're all over the place. So there's a lot of clicking to be done for you collectors. And uh, I think it, I wish it was worth more than a title. I have to go back and look at the rewards. But at least on my main, I'll probably go end up and end up doing that on my main for most of you know most of those at least. And uh, to clear out that D log and you know content is content, so I can't complain. Um, it's if you didn't know Tokian well enough, it's kind of cool that there's that many stewards and kings, you know, over the two or three thousand years of Gondor's existence that they can actually trace through that are true to the lore. Uh, stable travel options have been added to Minas Tirith, which I think are kind of useless. So I've got to see where the stables are on each level. It might be quicker to get to like maybe the north or southern ring depending on where it's located but I thought the horse system to the center of the tiers was fine so unless the stable locations are located near some key quest hub areas um, that you can remember off the top of your head I don't know that they were needed I would have used one in the southern uh, Ramos Ekor though as I mentioned previously uh, but I guess if it's an option it doesn't hurt anyone and lastly, if you've already completed all of his ventures, George at Sanson's Farm might just have a new one waiting in the wings. Pun intended. I do want to jump my chicken off of that pier. So I think that was a good one. Glad to see they extended the chicken range all the way through Gondor. And I think the ultimate chicken quest will be when we get to jump off of the uh, platform in Orodruin, Mount Doom, into the lava pit. That will be the ultimate, and it has the title of Fried Chicken, right? I predicted it in an episode, I don't remember how, sometime last year. Fried Chicken, the title for jumping off Mount Doom. It's going to happen. But hopefully you probably need a pretty heavily armed escort to get you through uh, the plains of Gorgoroth, I would imagine. All right. Boy, I sound like a geek when I say stuff like that. <laughs>
instances and currencies the barter cost for amphalos scrolls from empowerment had been decreased and boy have they in multiple areas around the game so have at it sandbrog is now more of a challenge instance and the market medallion rewards for sandbrog have been increased so more challenge more reward good on them i have seen less calls for sandbrog being pugged endlessly and another instance that's getting abused instead which i'll talk about in a minute Dole Amroth endgame tokens. You can now trade them in for boxes. Um, you get a more predictable drop depending on which quest you do. And you can trade them in for other currencies at a 2 to 1 ratio. All good options for content that is no longer endgame. Good job. Housing. Well, a couple little housing changes here. Always nice to see anything related to housing. Nothing here that's a big deal, but hey, if it's getting love, it's getting love. A guy can hope. Uh, the classes, there are a couple ones here that are pretty big, um, but I'm not going to go through the individual ones. You know, most of them got a little bit of buff of some traits that were either not proccing or were, uh, you know, taking too long to animate. But the biggest one is all melee mounted combat skills now do more damage. Melee, melee damage should be approximately doubled. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, says the guard and the Bjorning and the burglar uh, who are so useless on their war steeds. Thank you. Okay, so first of all, um, if you're fighting another warband where it takes you half the time to circle around and make another pass for a melee skill, you can finally clear them with about the same frequency as someone who has uh, you know, got uh, a, a, rain, a bunch of range skills on their bar, like the Captain, the Mini, and the Hunter are the ones that come to mind. Probably the Warden, too. Uh, my Warden has not got a war steed yet. Um, so it evens the, lane, the playing field there. Now, when you are picking off um, land-based mobs that happen to be in a you know in a war steed zone, it uh, it does kind of a little bit unfairly stack the advantage in their favor. And uh, a lot of cases where I would have jumped off my horse to clear mobs, I'm now clearing them on horses because it can be a heck of a lot faster, which is um, a nice change. Enjoying it. Um, and the burglar did get a range mount at combat skill finally. All in the wrist was made ranged because they had none previously. So now that the <clears throat> burglar has a ranged man uh, mounted combat skill to go with their impugned character skill and uh, and their cloaking their cloaking skill, uh, I do think they have one of the more uh, diverse Warsteed skill bases in the game and uh, and the most fun. All right, what's the rest of this stuff? There's black dyes, there's coffee emotes, there's flirt emotes, pet names, bunch of garbage. Nah, nah, nah. All quality of life. <laughs> Nothing worth mentioning here. Aside from the fact that uh, black dye recipes have been added to the Scholar's Guild recipe vendor. Actually, I have not picked mine up yet. Gonna have to remember to send my lore master over there. Uh, that will uh, have the the fashion uh, fashionistas of Lotro uh, frothing at the mouth. I'm certain. And that's it for the release notes. So some good content in there, um, which I think is not bad for a point two release. And uh, hopefully we'll learn a little bit more about schedule for upcoming releases. Uh, in more producers communications shortly but for now let's move on to our next beacon 
Minrim on, and now the original word from our sponsor segment is having an unoriginal ad. Uh, recycling of an ad that I did for the Samborg instance. Uh, I think it was Christmas 2014. Uh, but Samborg is no longer abused the way it was back in that day. The new run of the day is Thorog. So here is our revised ad. Hold your horses, friends, because it's Crazy Thorog's Blood Heligrod Sale. We've got everything you could possibly need for raiding, and it's all on sale now. We've got relics, runes, a few gold for your tunes, purple items and teal, and even a few seals, starlit crystals and more, anything and everything in crappy gear. Remember, we do not wipe pugs. We will not wipe pugs. We cannot wipe pugs, and we mean it. The best deals in the Misty Mountains are at Crazy Thorog's during Crazy Thorog's Blowout Heligrod Sale. So kill, kill the crazy zombie Thorog now with the raid so easy he's practically giving it all away crazy thorog his loot is insane okay we are back after a little bit of a break at the wonderful beacon of Callanhad, our meatiest topi topic of the week we took a little break a because i needed another ale and secondly, because there was a challenge in game where someone said, if you can meet me at the building atop the supplier in the south gate of Bree on the roof, first one here wins a Tome of Agility. And it had been a while since I'd been uh, playing parkour on the roofs of Bree Town. So I hightailed it up there via, I had to relearn how I did it over uh, the, the little entrance there over on the Scholar Stair, if you've never used it before. And I've been up on the rooftops uh, several times in Bree, but had not done it recently, so it's just reacquainting myself with the route. There is one very tricky jump uh, to get basically from the Bree Town Jail across to the buildings that uh, lead up to that southern entrance of Bree. You have to jump across to a big pillar that's uh, basically on the corner of, of the, Dwarven Town, um, the Dwarven Square. That looks like it's way farther than you can jump and you can barely make it and uh, I did it and I was there and she told me that uh, someone beat me there by about uh, 30 seconds so <laughs> next time but at least it was a nice little parkour adventure it only cost me a little bit of time it's gonna be a late podcast tonight again uh, so let's reach into Bragg's grab bag and that is double a double a double a um, couple topics here that uh, didn't fit to fill out a full segment, but I did want to discuss that uh, all lend up to um, a bit of meaty content. So first of all, I wanted to share with the viewers out there, and you know you're not viewers, but uh, a book that I received over the um, Yule holiday called Ready Player One. And a lot of you guys may be familiar with this book. Um, it's a quick read. It's uh, been a big bestseller. It's been out for a while. Uh, I'd read about it uh, on the interwebs um, and had it recommended by a few people, and I finally got a copy. Um, so this book is really a, a love song written by the author for... Um, for the decade of the 80s and pop culture that inhabited the decade of the 80s. From your John Hughes movies to the classic stand-up arcade video games. All the way back to the earliest forms of computer games with Zork and time-sharing computers where you could band together to play uh, you know, dungeon crawlers. Uh, Atari's adventure game, Tempest. 
uh, the 80s TV like Star Trek and the Star Wars movies and the Goonies and Japanese anime cartoons, the Thunderbird puppets, you name it, 80s bands, 80s music. Um, it's laced in here with a reference. So it, it's Ready Player One is a movie about a dystopian future. Of course, all the current movies that are big hits are based on dystopian futures. And um, this in this one, the uh, you know not so implausible. Uh, the world has become kind of a terrible place that is run down through uh, you know the various uh, poverty and famine and all the other things that uh, could rear its head in an overpopulated world. And a lot of people escape to uh, basically an all-encompassing uh, MMO, basically. Uh, it's almost like dialing into the Matrix, but it's voluntary. And a lot of people lose themselves in this uh, other world that's out there and uh, interact. All, you know, all their social um, experiments are out there. A lot of people are earning income. They're, they're adventuring. They're questing. Uh, they're learning. Like all the accumulated lore of mankind and educational materials are available. So people go to school on the web and... Um, you know, they travel to, to meet other people and, 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 uh, it's, it's kind of an exciting uh, vision for the future where, well, partially exciting, partially terrifying, uh, where these people, um, you know, that you can explore, but obviously you lose, uh, you know, your grip on reality. Um, so all these, uh, great, um, you know, pop culture references, the eighties have been baked into these MMO worlds. You can go explore the worlds of star Trek or, you know, adventure and giant worlds built around the adventure game, Atari or relive the movie, the Goonies as if it was really, you know, you were in the leading role, all the, all these fun things. And, um, basically there's a treasure hunt where the pe person that created the original author of the space leaves, uh, all of his billions upon billions of dollars to anyone who can solve this great great riddle puzzle within the game. Um, all these corporations are racing to uh, to find it first, and all the independent people, uh, you know, all these uh, poor people in the world are, you know, that are enriched in this lore and studying it are trying to find it before the major corporations. And um, so it's a, it's a, an adventure that occurs inside the, the video game world and outside of it as well, as there's a subterfuge and various shenanigans that go on, given the money that's at stake. Um, it is an adventure tale. Um, you get to adventure in one of the best D&D modules of all time, the Tomb of Horrors, which is laid out in, in exacting detail in one of the worlds. Um, you get an entire chapter of the book dedicated to the legendary rock band Rush. Yes, and when a, a great book just got elevated to legendary status in my mind, where you get to investigate the temples of Syrinx and discover a strange device uh, in order to unlock the next clues in the puzzle. Um, and uh, this book, as you can imagine, is already optioned for a movie, which is being uh, directed. Steven Spielberg is attached to it direct, uh, which can't be all bad. It could be an interesting movie if, if they can avoid some of the downfalls of movies like Pixels, which came out recently. And uh, you know, before that, maybe the Tron reboot. I liked it better than the reviews did, but there were some problems with it that uh, you know limited it in terms of... Uh, of how the original came out. So, you know, I could see this being kind of a mix of a Tron sort of Matrix type world with a little bit of pixels thrown into it as well. And, um,. I found it uh, a very engaging and quick read, and I do recommend it to anyone who's fans of any of those areas of lore or history. Um, and even if you're not, you can learn a little bit about it and uh, enjoy the story too. So that's my first recommendation in Grab's Bag.
and grabs grab mag mag fag the 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 bag. So uh, next one, I have started reading a book I also I received for the holidays, Tolkien's Unfinished Tales, which I never possessed before. Um, a lot of these stories mirror some of the stories in the Silmarillion, so they're familiar, but they touch upon some of the writings that were never collected previously. And each time I read some of these other works from Tolkien around Middle Earth, you glean additional context and insight, things you think you know, or but they're reinforced through additional reading because you know they're too complex to take all in and one um, in one uh, review so uh, I'm just on the first chapter now it's a it's a little over long but a fascinating uh, in parts recounting of how all the pieces of the book came to be so how Christopher Tolkien found the different writings um, you know and through the various uh, notebooks and ledgers and and letters that Tolkien wrote and uh, you know piece them together so determine the ones that were substantial enough substantially finished enough that with a little bit of polish here and there and some cross-indexing and, and some finishing, he could feel that they were published and that they were actually works from his father, although heavily edited by him, uh, you know, true to what the, the vision his father had for some of those storylines. So um, his recounting of how the book came to be is, is very interesting from that point. Um, you know, hearing some pieces of the story that were demanded or lobbied for by Tolkien's friends and family was particularly cool. People would say, you know, you've got to tell me, you know, how, uh, what happened to the Palantiri, you know, I want to learn more about their history, or, or you know, tell me about the Druidan in the forests, uh, you know, north of Gondor. How did they come to be? What was their history, and so forth? And and he would just to please his friends who would beg him for these little bits and pieces. He would he would work at these all these little different pieces from time to time that would come together. Uh, so currently I'm reading about Tudor's search for the uh, lost elven city of Gondolin, or the hidden elven city of Gondolin, I should say, hidden and lost now. Um, interesting trivia about Tudor, which I did not know. Along with Beren, uh, whose last name was Arcamium, and Aragorn, Tudor was one of only three men ever to marry one of the Eldarn elves. He wed Turgon's daughter Idril Celebrinda in Gondolin, and uh, he eventually sailed to the west with Idril, and it was a tradition of the Eldar and Edain that they arrived in Valador, bypassing the ban of the Valar. So Tuor, alone of all the men, was counted as elven kindred and still living there now. In a, in a letter, Tolkien indicated that Tuor's conversion was allowed by Iru Eluvatar himself as a unique exception, just like he allowed Luthien's assumption of a mortal fate. So two interesting bits of lore around uh, Tudor. Uh, from the first chapters of Tolkien's Unfinished Tales. In addition, another Yuletide acquisition, the extended edition of The Hobbit, The Battle of Five Armies, which I got to eventually. And, um, you know, I don't think the extended edition won't change many people's opinion of the movie. Uh, but all in all, uh, our, our, our dwarven family found them to be great fun. There were some very imaginative additions to the battle scenes that gave, um, you know, one of the oversights in the original film is I thought the the end battle was a little soulless because we lost uh, sight of our main characters that we'd been following through the whole trilogy, the 12 dwarves themselves. You know, they joined the battle late, and you don't see a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat from them um, until, you know, the uh, Thorin's party takes off for the mountaintop to overtake the, you know, the Orkin... Um, uh, you know, command center. Um, so this uh, extended edition definitely fills in some of those gaps. 
Um, you see a lot of battle scenes that gave the dwarves of Erebor greater individual roles and, and some imaginative scenes as well. Um, and uh, some extensions also of the fighting of, of Dane and Bjorn, which which thought were 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 fun and were well done. Um, the guy you love to hate, Alfred from uh, you know uh, the servant to the master, who still somehow has too much screen time in this movie, uh, gets a more fitting perhaps and gruesome end in the extended edition. Uh, his end is somewhat left uh, up to. Um, you know, up, up for grabs in, in the uh, shortened version, but you see what happens to him here. Uh, and uh, that helps bring a little bit of closure to a guy that was uh, such a stinker. And, um, you know, the biggest problem I have with the movie is that I still think it takes too long for Thorin to shake off his dragon gold fever. Um, too long, too uh, elongated, too um, painful to watch him, you know, his tortured soul as he goes through that transformation. And one of the biggest movies, one of the movie's best assets, Martin Freeman as Bilbo, uh, was underused in the last piece of the trilogy, um, the trilogy that should have probably been a duology, if there is such a word. Um, is, is still underused. Uh, so he gets a, a little more screen time in the extended edition, but I still feel like he's a fairly minor part of the story. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think every every scene that has him in it improves a little bit. So uh, he was missed as far as this last piece of the trilogy concerns. Another interesting fact is that the movie became, with the extended edition, rated R. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, likely due to all the additional decapitations uh, in the battle scenes, Peter does like Peter Jackson does like his decapitations, doesn't he? Uh, so that's my uh, review of the extended edition of Bofa. Um, I think uh, for fans of the film, they will find more to love. For haters of the film, they will find more to hate. Next, um, TV edition of The Chronicles of Shannara has hit recently on MTV, of all things. What is the world coming to? I do remember and prefer when that uh, station was an all-music TV, uh, music video TV show, uh, which is probably lost on youth. So uh, the collected works of Terry Brooks uh, in the Shannara world are kind of a sprawling epic Um it is one of my favorite fantasy series of all time, probably because how soon I came to it. Very shortly after uh, the Lord, I read the Lord of the Rings. Uh, I got from my sisters foisted upon me the the sword of Shannara, and I've been a fan ever since. Um, movies have been discussed for decades for this series. Um, you know, we're never much of a reality because of the scope of its epic nature until Lord of the Rings hit and uh, studios were opened up that there was an audience for this, that it could be treated in an intelligent fashion, which could bring in mega box office numbers if the lore was popular enough. And so I think, um, you know, all the books that are popular now are coming to the fore and getting their chance to be made into movies uh, to varying degrees of quality. Quality. And the Chronicles of Shannara have been discussed as one of those options for a while, but have never come to the screen until now. Uh, but thanks in large part, to, I think, to Game of Thrones, we live in an area where we have alternative channels to see our favorite works come to life. And uh, therefore, we've seen it come, come to fruition as a TV series. Um, 
I think there's much to like in the initial episodes of the series, so I'll go over some of the, the nicer points first. Uh, it does have very, fairly good production values, uh, showing the world, um, special effects budget and so forth, and some of the landscapes um, are nicely done. So it looks good from that perspective. Uh, some of the story elements from the books are there. Um, they chose to start later in the series and to scramble some of the details uh, for the sake of their narrative, which I'm not a fan of. But there are some story elements that are there from the books, which I thought were positive. Uh, John Rhys Davies, Mr. Gimli himself, makes an appearance as the Elven King. So from a dwarf to an elf, he's uh, gone full circuit. Full, full circuit. And um, I did think that... Uh, he brings a gravitas to that is sorely lacking amongst some of the other areas uh, in the game. Um, so it's good to see him. Um, I wish he was more used in the series. And I thought the Australian actor they have that plays the key figure of Alanon, the druid, uh, is doing a decent job. He's kind of, you know, maybe a, a more modern interpretation covered with tattoos and a younger Al-Anon that I had pictured. Uh, he needs kind of a more of a furrowed brow, in my opinion, a little darker in his hood. But um, the actor quits, quits himself okay. I think he's doing a fine job with a very difficult role. However, there are some MTV fingerprints on this series that I think are a bit regrettable. Um, first of all, it takes the pains to showcase a plethora of young, hunky, sexy actors, often scantily or even unclad, with lots of love triangles and trysts in the offing that uh, you know were or were not from the original book. Um, they don't seem to be interested in real character development thus far for any of the actors over the age of 23. And one could argue this was the reason they focused on the Elfstones of Shannara storyline as opposed to the original Sword of Shannara as hardcore fans would have preferred because there's more roles for some of those younger, younger actors. Uh, the music, although good, uh, is music I like. Uh, gives a vibe of a bit of a more of a tweener show rather than a serious work of science fiction. Uh, for example, the Elven Ball dance, for example, is just an excuse to dress up the main character in a revealing evening gown for a romantic interlude. Uh, the young Will Omsford character reminds me of sort of a mix of Justin Bieber and one of the Hanson brothers from Mbop fame. He's got pointy ears, no less, and his you know acting is uh, a bit awkward thus far. Although that may be the script talking. We'll see. We'll give him a chance. So I'm not sure how long they can stretch out the storyline without turning over most of the major characters, which I have a feeling they will be hesitant to do if the series becomes a hit with the young demographic they seem to be aiming for. Um, those who have read the books know what is supposed to happen to the elfin girl Amberly to resolve the crisis of the Elkris, and I won't spoil it, uh, but uh, uh, I have a feeling if the series is popular and that character is popular, they might find a way to... Uh, to twist things a bit so that that fate does not come to fruition. I, I will watch the series develop for now, and despite my comments, I am still enjoying it, um, I, albeit with a low dose of skepticism. Uh, not for its long-term prospects, but to my interest level. Uh, you know, I'm looking for it to be a little closer to the realism of Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings, and a little farther from the feel of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Supernatural. <laughs> Nothing against those shows. Those are good shows for what they are, but it's not not what I'm looking for for this IP. So um, let me know what you think of the Chronicles of Shannara.
And to round out the grab bag, let me reach deep here, all the way up to the shoulder and at the bottom. I am pulling out five actual predictions for Lotro in 2016. So in the last episode, you heard some of my uh, more fanciful predictions. Here are some real ones that were just coming across as a uh, was, was pondering. The first one, I believe we will see mounted combat in an instance or raid in 2016, and maybe sooner rather than later. Uh, you know where I'm thinking I'm going with this, the Pelinor. My second prediction, housing system improvements will be coming to the game, uh, probably midsummer or late fall, one or the other, but I believe they will do an overhaul to some degree of the housing system. Uh, Minas Morgul landscape will be released pre in the pre-Christmas release, uh, although the Kirith Ungol raid, probably not until first quarter 2017. Yes, and that's not official. That's my assumption that there will be a Kirith Ungol Shelob raid. Uh, but I don't think we're going to see it until the first quarter. But I think we will see Minas Morgul to explore uh, on our way to the Black Gates. And uh, number four, at least one additional skirmish released in 2017. Number five, some additional assurances regarding Tokian estate licensing issues by end of year. Probably in the producer's letter, if not before. So I think there's enough trepidation in the community around the potential fate of the licensing in 2017 that they may fe feel compelled to come out and say, you know, at least that they're intending to... Uh, uh, to further negotiations with the intent of keeping the game alive. And I expect to hear something on that by the end of the year. And lastly, as a bonus, number six, um, I believe there will be a combine all relics enhancement that will hit the game at some point this year. You heard it here first. Six actual predictions for 2016 in Lotro. And with that, it brings us to... A well-earned Halifurian. The closing. It's time for Blessed Relief. It's the end of the 48th episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. Brag with two A's. The second A stands for arsenic and old lace. On Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofbalan. Or my website at lightthebeacons.com, where I love when my listeners post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you to take the times to create an iTunes review, if perchance you're so inclined, would very much appreciate it. And if your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. May it be lag-free and without desktop crashes to all. This is Bragg, Son of Balance, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time your fire and frost rage meter edges away from zero seconds before you take the second boss giant down and lose your challenge, don't despair. Light the beacons. Okay, Grima, I'm going to regret this, but I did promise. So here's the mic. Yes, it's about time. Well, I just want to say that if the insipid wastrels over at Lotro Players want to spend an entire episode of their skirmoot discussing my various incarnations in such disparaging tones, they had better just watch their backs is all, because the creepy, slimy Grimer can still move like a cat when he wants to, and you won't even hear me coming. <laughs>
until it's too late. <laughs> oh, ow. Yeah. Shut up if you're laughing. Stupid viewers.